Hello everybody and welcome to the very first episode of the Thoughts on Crosses podcast. I am your host, Cooper, and with me I have today... David. Chris. Elisha. And we're going to be talking about music. Okay, now that I have my mic, uh, the question we started on originally was um, concerning the Blessings Reformed Church in Canada. And there's, as everyone knows, or may not know, there's a lot of controversy around that. Um, and of course, everyone's scared because they have drums in their church. Oh me, oh my. And apparently everyone's opposed to that. I'm curious why. Go. It's more because of the cultural connotation of having a drum set and a band in front of the church than anything else. It's not like the drum kit or any other instrument for that matter is inherently evil, although some people might contest that. It's more the, like I said, the cultural meaning that it has, more the pop culture associated with a drum that frightens so many people. And then it's, they're afraid it's going to turn more into an entertainment fest as opposed to an actual worship service because so much of the emphasis of the service is taken away from the preaching and is then going towards the actual music and uh, the entertainment aspects of it. Well, in that same way, you could say that organ enthusiasts could come to our church just to listen to the organ. Theoretically, that is true. So, then why don't we ban organs? Because tradition... Like John Calvin said. John Calvin didn't like organs. I don't actually know how the organ got into the Reformed churches. Does anyone here have any knowledge on that matter? I guess it's just a Western thing. You know, just generally the Western church, which is, have just always had organs in them since organs were around. But, yeah, the question we're asking is how do we treat music in the church? What's the purpose of music? Well, in the church service, we need, well, I, I know our singing a cappella would be a good thing in a church service because, well, then everyone, you can tell that everyone is into the into the praise and worship and they're not, not, not just singing in a dull monotone type thing. So a cappella isn't a bad thing, but as far as the organ or a piano goes in the church service, it's it's a good tool to help lead that singing. And the singing in the church service is us talking or praying to God. And if we're not doing that well by having no accompaniment, then we may as well have something like an organ or piano in order to help us in that response to God because the church service is structured. God talks, we talk, God talks, etc. Yeah, it's not necessarily all about just what instrument you're using to accompany. I'm just asking in general, we have music, God commands us to sing songs to him, but what is the idea behind using music to praise God? Real quick, looking back at the organ and how it got into the church, I've looked up it up on a couple of websites, still, still trying to f- find out exactly its origins. But what's interesting, I found, is that before um, 900 AD, it was most... 900 AD? That sounds about right. I don't know when exactly. It said 900 CE. So when is CE? Common Era, that's AD. Yep. Yeah, 900... Before then, it was used in circuses or something. Before it made its way into the church, it was actually primarily used in circuses. Still trying to find out why we decided to put it into the um, church, but yeah. Well, of course, you know, you've got the fairground organ on your merry-go-round. I didn't even know organs existed before 900C, but anyway. I believe the Persians may have had an early prototype of the organ Mm. well before the birth of Christ, but I'm not certain about that. Cool. Anyway, before Cooper distracted us, the question was, what is the role of music in the church and how do we utilize that? 
music in the church or in the worship service more specifically? In the worship service specifically. Well, that brings up the question of, is it necessary for us to actually sing psalms during the worship service? We have it in our liturgy, and it's a commonly accepted part of the liturgy, but is it actually necessary? Or what? Like, why do we actually sing in the worship service? Because a lot of times in the Bible, when you hear about, say, for example, King David worshiping God in his psalms, it was not during worship services at the temple or the or the tabernacle at the time rather it was um basically in his own time that he was doing it in regards to the psalms yes but for example the uh psalms that are written by say uh, the sons of korah and the son and asaph they were levitical um songwriters and their job was to write music for liturgy liturgy is probably the wrong word but for use in the for use in worship yes okay were they also used, well, not those songs specifically, I suppose, but was music also used in the New Testament church? Because it mentions every now and then in Acts that um, Paul and, or one of the other um, apostles or someone with them prayed with the congregation, then they sang a hymn or something to that effect, and then they went on again. It does mention singing not necessarily specifically as part of the worship service, but certainly as a communal activity that the congregation was involved in. Yes, and to be fair, their worship services looked a lot different from ours. Yeah. But is it necessary to have music or singing in a worship service? I don't think it is, but it is very popular because it is a much more active way in which people can be involved. The entire congregation can be involved in worship and even some kinds of prayer, depending on what you're singing. So why do we use music to do it then? Why don't we just, you know, chant prayers? Well, the Psalms are basically prayers. Yeah, but we sing them to music and they're designed to be sung to music. Music, as the Psalms have been put in, or the Psalms are mostly put to the Genevan tunes. All of them, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and the tune gives... A structured way of doing it whereas if we was just to have a script or a prayer which we all chanted then rhythm tone and all the other functions of music wouldn't be present and there would be no structure in our response to god and it all be messy well you could just chant poems yeah but then how do you control pace one person's one are gonna go fast as it is <laughs> that already happens in church. Yeah, fair enough. To a certain extent. So is that the only function of music in the church? You would say? I wouldn't say it's the only function, but it certainly gives an orderly effect to the worship service. But Because I would be of the opinion that the purpose of music is... um, Well, the purpose of music in culture is to give some sort of emotional drive to everything. To... um. It, it's music is an art form, and when we're singing psalms that are based off poems written by the psalmists, are we not participating in art in a form of praise and worship? I would genuinely agree with that. Um, arts can, of course, be used to glorify God, so there's no reason why it shouldn't be used in the worship service if it's meant purely for that purpose, and it doesn't detract from the worship service. Because music is supposed to add to the service, not necessarily make up the core of the service. 
because of course the service is all focused around the preaching of uh, preaching of the word. Not necessarily, isn't yeah. it? the The sermon is the center of the service. It's it's what we go for. I thought the center of the service was worshiping God, not necessarily to hear God's word. It, it it's all part of the parcel, you know. But There's... in the in a liturgy, when do we sing? We sing in response to either God's greeting or and or the commandments and or the service. And then to end the service as well. Sorry, the sermon. And then to end the service as well. Most of the singing we do is in response to either the preaching of God's word in the sermon or uh, the proclamation of the Ten Commandments or God's greeting at the beginning of the service. Yeah, like the entire service, the way that we have it um, structured, is it's a dialogue between uh, the church and God. So God says through... Um, the scriptures and through the minister he says what he needs to say to the church and then we respond to it yeah like you said so psalms are just a perfect response because the book of psalms is even uh people responding to god um rather than god um instructing man the book of psalms i'm talking about like it's um those people's like Daniel and stuff, it's their response to God after God told them all the things that he has in his scripture. And part of it is also that, of course, in the Catholic Church, just before and during the Reformation, all the singing was done by the choir and not by the congregation. So that's also one reason why the Reformed churches, I'm not sure if they emphasize it more, but they like to emphasize the singing uh, with the whole congregation because... It involves the entire congregation as opposed to a select few at the front of the church whom everyone else is watching and listening to. So our consensus here is that just music is important in the church as a way for the people to respond to God, right? Yes. So why is it important that we need to sing instead of just speak? As it, is it just, as Chris said, as just a way to hold everyone together? You don't necessarily need music. Uh, I think it's more a uh, cultural reason that we do it. Cultural reason, possibly more, um, more cultural from the past than it is cultural now. Uh, but we could theoretically be doing it in uh, reciting prose as well, in the form of, well, anything really, anything artistic, uh, as long as it involves the entire congregation. We don't necessarily need to do music, but because we've been doing music ever since pretty much worship of God began, not entirely, but for a very long time it's just been something that humans have done ever since well i think of like especially psalm 122 where the people are going up the mountain to the temple to worship at jerusalem and as they did that they sung this psalm 122 known as the psalm of ascent so as they're going up to worship they're already worshiping in singing that psalm so you're saying music isn't something that god commands us it's just something that we use well i cannot think of any specific instances where god commands us to sing unless of course you're going to start quoting the new testaments where paul is saying i don't know exactly what he says but where he uses the phrase song psalms and spiritual songs yeah i would actually say that is a direct command what is that exact text i wonder (sighs) give me a sec (laughs) because of course then the question is is the exact command to sing and praise God, or is it to worship God in, for example, music? I don't know the context well enough off the top of my head to be able to say. Organ Man is back. 
I did some more research on the organ and you were surprised that it was around, um, wait, what was the date that I said? I think it was 400. 900. 900. 900. It was actually, um, it, the first recorded, like, um, first recorded use of the organ. Yeah. It was the, as indicated by old documents, the organ was developed by, uh, Ctesibios of Alexandria, Egypt, in 246 BC. So that ah. was, it was, yeah, around way before. And it's like, but it, it was around way before the piano and everything. So we can understand how such a um, crazy instrument that's crazy old has stayed in the church. But then you got things like the um, harp. Like the harp was used to praise God a bunch. So why can't we use harps or um modern renditions of that like the guitar in church i'll pass it back to your uh your resident uh, smart man it's the it's the elisha okay thank you for that <laughs> um this is ephesians 5 from verse 18 do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ so it seems to be that we're using paul's commanding the use of music as this response to god and it's saying like you know be filled with the spirit which sounds all very happy clappy but um it's an emotional response, is it not? Yeah, for sure. So what's wrong with, say, using contemporary music in the church? If that happened, what would you say about it? By the way, there are some really good Christian bands out there. I'm sure people can oh, recommend yeah. how oh, many. Yeah. I recommend three that are still alive. I am actually somebody who really likes, who's, who's a big advocate for current media um, being used as a way to praise God. So like um, podcasting, first and foremost, hey, that got a bit meta right there. Hey, and uh, like rap, death metal. I know a couple of bands who do actually uh, praise God with their death metal. The, despite the name, it's like still a form of song. And it's like, like you can argue till the days come up. Till the days come home, till the cows come home, about like whether that's wrong or right, which I guess we will do right now. Nah, but like, I I am way for um, all of this sinful sort of music being used to praise God. Like, it, it in people's mind they instantly think death metal sinful, sort of thing. Rap sinful. How dare people say words faster than I can hear them? So, yeah, that's just my standpoint on this whole thing. Well, of course, if you're going to talk about death metal, you can always consider what kind of emotions death metal is supposed to inspire in you. But that's sort of secondary. Yeah, the question is, if you've got all this, we've got this contemporary music, and to be honest, there are, of course, some people, like Reverend Anderson, who, like, will love the Genevan Psalms to death. But, for example... What, what, name your favorite psalm out of the Genevan Psalter. The melodies? No, just, just your favorite the psalm. S- I'm, I'm probably going to say 72. How does it go? Just, oh, no, no, just say the words. <laughs> you don't need to sing for us. If you're talking about the Genevan Psalter, then... 
Uh, oh, God gave to the king no justice. Okay, Chris? Uh, probably Psalm 42, where it talks about as the deer pants. Yeah, and like, okay, so I'm not going to use your example, David, because no one knows that psalm. But you've got A lot like, of people know that psalm, but okay. These really popular psalms, like 118, I think, um, yep. and Psalm 42, uh, as the deer. And these are the psalms that become popular. Why? Because they have tunes that the kids all pick up. And when you... What, what's the most famous psalm in existence? Psalm 23, of course. And if you know how the tune for that goes in the Denevan Psalter, you understand why it isn't exactly a hit smash. Um, of course, Reverend Anderson loves that thing. But, but of course, music from the 1600s isn't always necessarily able to connect with us. So I'm just, is that the most ideal thing to use? Well, now you can get into music and more academic music, but um, because a lot of us have grown up in a church society where we are raised on these kind of psalms, we do have a lot more emotional attachments than someone who hasn't grown up with them, of course. So that argument is not... I see what you're getting at, but it's kind of negated by the fact that many of us do actually have an emotional response because we grew up with them, right? Maybe Rockingham Church is just really bad with its singing, and it is, but you, if the Psalms are supposed to be this... If singing is just supposed to be this really emotionally inspired activity, it's difficult to get behind it with just some of the things we have. Well, are you... Okay, so let me just ask this question. Are you saying that the churches, or all our churches right now, are not necessarily very emotional about singing the psalms? Not really, no. Okay. Some of them, yeah. Well, it's it's hard to judge that because different people show emotions in different ways. So some people might be very emotional while still appearing to be very controlled in how they actually portray them. Yeah, I'm not talking about maybe a, a response, but it just like, you know, ease of singing and everything. Well, that standard changes with culture over time. Of course, but we are in a culture that doesn't like 16th century music so as much as 16th century people like 16th century music. And we kind of like 21st century music, so why don't we have some more of that in the church? Well, now I'm just making a huge sweeping statement and saying that this is a society that doesn't like 16th century music because you can't really speak for all society when you say something like that. I think I can, to be honest. Well, if you're going to talk about the free reformed community more specifically, I don't think you can. So you would say that people like singing Psalm 23? Well, in I'm not. The form that we have it? I'm not saying what people like. I'm just saying that you can't really say what people don't like. And, well, if I may, this sort of brings it back to the reason behind why Blessings began using drums and guitars and whatever they have at the front of their church as well. Because Blessings is the fastest growing church in the KNRC at the moment. And they started using drums, I believe, in order to... Well, it was like a church set up specifically for like evangelizing pro, um, purposes. And that was part of their way in attracting people into their church. So they would use the more modern music accompaniments so that people would ease, more easily come into the, into the building and into their worship services. And, well, it seems to be working because now they're the fastest growing church in KNRC. Well, that seems reasonable. It's difficult to throw people in the deep end with 
as we were saying, maybe some of us have more accompanied to the Genevan tunes and 16th century music. But if you're getting new people who've never heard of the church and you're just throwing them in, well, and they and obviously they won't be comfortable. So if you're going to give them some music that they're comfortable with, why not? But either way, singing psalms is going to be foreign to any newcomer to a church because they're not going to be accustomed to any type of music that is in a worship service. So whether or not it's going to be accompanied by guitars and drums or simply by an organ or piano, it's still going to be a foreign nature of a structured singing. Yeah, but you can make it less foreign. Well, saying that the Genevan tunes are much less uh, able to be appreciated by the common person than contemporary music is actually incorrect based off of the case of a mission church up in northern BC where uh, Reverend Jim Widdeveen was for a long time in Prince George. But uh, the population or the people in that church were mostly converts in the area, so a lot of them were natives. Um, but they loved the Genevan tunes and they liked them really, really, really much. So much so that when uh, some youth from the lower mainland in southern BC uh, came up just for, for holidays, visit friends, etc., they actually were just talking to them and saying, yeah, you know, these things are really outdated and you know what, we should get a whole bunch of new ones because these aren't even that good. It had a profound impact on the people of that church and they really started having uh, a bit of a crisis, so to speak. And then uh, after that, the Reverend Winnevin actually told people, if you come to Prince George, please do not criticize the Geneva tunes because the people absolutely adore them here. Do people who live there have internet connections? Yes. Good ones. What's your point? <laughs> Do they get out much? <laughs> Let's just say that Prince George is not necessarily the most pleasant of places to be because a lot of the negative elements of culture in America rub off on people there. Uh, well, of course... In different parts of the world, world, we'll all appreciate different types of music, but... But my point is, um, you cannot just say that people who come into the church are going to like contemporary music more than they're going to like singing Geneva tunes. They probably will. But you're, you're adding a probably in there, which means you don't even have any certainty of that fact. Well, of course, because all sorts of people have all sorts of different... All sorts of different people like different sorts of music. Well... Some people will yes, like them, but, but... I don't think that's a reason for why we should be changing to or using contemporary music to attract more people, because then... It's not necessarily about attracting more people, as I well, said. Well, if we're taking this, the case of uh, Blessings Church... Yeah. I would disagree with that. Why? Because it's not proven that contemporary music is more popular than the Geneva tunes. It's wor- it seems to be working for them. Yes, but then again, how long are a lot of those people actually going to stay there? Well, it doesn't matter really does it because a lot of the uh evangelical and baptist churches see huge numbers of people but barely any of them are long-term members and a lot of them leave again after a month or half a year or a year or even two years yeah and that's what happens when you attract people into a church by emotions because really uh, by attracting them from that style of music or by by creating your worship service to attract people in that way you're conforming to something that people want to hear and want to have and that's really no different to a church where they preach the health and wealth gospel where they're just tickling people's ears just to get them and the numbers into their church well okay you see the difference here is because the prosperity gospel is false 
and that we shouldn't be preaching the prosperity gospel. The difference here is that there is no nothing wrong with contemporary music as compared to the Genevan Psalms. And you may say that, oh, these people, they, they don't have a strong faith. They come in, they get drawn in, they get hooked in by the emotions, and then they drift out. But that's still a better result than what we get on when we're not trying to evangelize. Then just no people come in. But it's still the same result as for with the prosperity gospel because they come in and then they drift out because they might grow discontent or whatever. So they're being attracted by something which they want and then grow discontent and leave. It's still the same result. So do you think people stay at, I mean, do you think people leave um, these happy clappy churches because uh, they get bored of the songs or they don't like the teachings? Why would, why do they leave that church? It's because there's no real meat of the gospel, is there? Yeah. Like, there may be elect in that church, but they're not going to stay in that church because there's no meat there. They're not going to be able to fulfill their, you know, requirements of the scripture. So, coming to our church, even if we're like, like, we already make, make ourselves nice to new people. Like, we have, um, who... I forget the name. The guys that stand up and then greet you at the door. and The then greeters. <laughs> Are they the greeters? Yes, the They, like, tell you where to sit. Or what? the oh. sextons. Yeah, ushers. Yeah, yeah anyway. ushers and whatever. Like, you can say, well, that, that's not God using uh, us in the right way. That's us trying to look nice, wearing nice suits, and then uh, reeling them in with nice behavior. But... It's it's a way of getting people into the church. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we are giving them the meat of the gospel. Well, not necessarily meat, but we're giving them the true gospel. Yeah. Because people who preach the prosperity gospel, they're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching the false gospel. Like if we make comfier seats, if we make our pews comfier, that's not a wrong prosperity thing to gospel. do. Like people might stay because there's comfy seats. I know I left a certain church because all they had was wooden seats. Armadale. Shh, we don't talk about the heathens. <laughs> but yeah, like it's just like making comfier seats. It's making it nicer to be there while you're still getting meaty gospel, scripture, worship. Um, yeah, sermons. If we're going to continue with like Paul's metaphor of meat doesn't necessarily need to be meat it just has to be the gospel just fixing that quickly yeah but evangelical and charismatic churches are very good at attracting people could i just correct something quickly sure we are by definition evangelical an evangelical christian is someone basically a little bit further down the track from protestant okay churches with the name evangelical in them Okay. <laughs> Just as when we say Reformed churches, we say, generally speaking, churches with the name Reformed in them or Presbyterian or something along those those lines. Sure, why not? All right. Then for clarification, whenever I say Evangelical or Baptist churches, I say churches with that element in their name. Anyway, said churches are very good at attracting people, but like you said, they don't have the actual substance of the gospel that people really need after a prolonged period of time of being there. And that's... Uh, like what Cooper said, is where the Reformed churches do very well. 
So if you want to have an effective system uh, in an ideal situation, of course, we would have a case where people well, are either attracted by these evangelical charismatic churches and then uh, through contacts find the Reformed churches and are able to grow in faith through the more um, substantial doctrine and actual substance of the gospel. Um, I am, I guess I am kind of saying that the Reformed churches shouldn't be focused on, shouldn't be focused, excuse me, should not be focusing on evangelism, and that's actually not true, but it's not necessarily our strongest points. Sorry, what I'm saying is that Reformed churches should, of course, focus on evangelism. Yeah, and you're saying these churches are very good at hooking people in, but yeah. they don't have, um, they, they don't keep them around because, uh, I don't want to say meat of the gospel, but I'll say it anyway. Because they don't have this meat of the gospel. I win. I win. That is now canon. Meaty gospel. Yeah, and but if we can have, if we can attract people into the church and then give them this meat of the gospel, then isn't that a good thing? Yes, absolutely. But we should not be sacrificing... Uh, any elements of our worship service in order to achieve that. So what are we sacrificing by having contemporary music instead of Genevan tunes? We'd be sacrificing Genevan tunes. Oh, what a travesty. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> so we're allowed to get rid of the Genevan tunes. There's nothing in scripture that says, no, you have to keep the Genevan tunes. That's right. Yeah. But what we're arguing about is whether, what are we arguing about? For those of us who aren't listening, myself included. Well, I think Elisha was more pointing towards the direction of should, or do we need to stick to the Genevan tunes or uh, can we also use contemporary music or why are we not using it? And uh, I see what he's getting at. And I do realize that of course, contemporary music is just as much music of worship as the Genevan tunes are. However, at this point, the Genevan tunes have become such, uh, such a part of, well, Reformed tradition, I guess, but also just a Reformed community, that giving them up should not be something that we just do off the back of our hand and say, oh, they're not effective anymore, let's get rid of them. Because there's a whole lot more meaning attached to them because we've been using them for so long. You know, after Canada forced that new uh, book of praise on us. Excuse me. Canada yeah. didn't force that new book of praise on us. It was a synod who they might as well it. have. No. Yeah, but the thing is, basically, half of the hymns in the back are not authorized, and we're not allowed to use them in church services. Nine from churches. Sorry. The fear from churches. Us, as in our church. As in the fear from churches of Australia. Yes. Okay. We're not allowed to use, like, half of those hymns. Because they're not synod approved. No. Yeah, because apparently it's, this is a big deal. One of uh, quite a key quotes that came out of one of the secessions in the Dutch churches, I think it was, is that heresies are sung into the church. So that's with. Oh, of course, most we need to be we hymns. need to be careful with what we sing. Obviously, there's there's nothing. Yes, we need to be careful. And there are a lot of good hymns out there, but we can't have a book of praise which is going to have all the hymns in it. 
So why why should we even be adding to it? Oh, we can always do it more occasionally. Anyway, it all kind is all kind of just for anyway. But really, <laughs> this is for the worship service, and I have no qualms with singing different hymns in the home. But why do we have to constantly add to the book of praise? I don't know. Ask Canada. I'm just saying that now that we use this psalm book, and we're not even allowed to sing the hymns that are in the back of it. It's a dialogue. The service is a dialogue, and like we're responding to God, but like we're not really responding to God with what He just told us. Like we're trying our best. Like if if we have a sermon about the shepherd, then we'll sing the psalm, which you know, um, yeah. When the deer by the water he drinks stuff, that that psalm, like, we if. If we're developing, like, if we're making new sermons, then we have to keep on making new responses to those sermons. Like, we're limited to what we where we can uh, we can respond with if we just use the psalms that we have right now. One hundred and fifty psalms, one hundred and fifty responses. It's, it's it, it. Do we only have a hundred and fifty topics which we can have in the sermon? That we'll be able to pick uh, the perfect sample, and then add the hymns that we're allowed to use. So sixty something, fifty? No, seventy. Eighty-five, I believe, isn't it? Eighty-five, yeah. but okay. then nineteen we are currently not allowed to sing in the worship service. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. So seventy something. <laughs> I don't know. Sixty-six. Just out of curiosity, how likely is it that any or all of those nineteen hymns are going to be approved by Australian synod? More likely than not, it will be at the next synod that we adopt an Australian version of the Book of Praise. Okay. But like, you get where I'm coming from. Like, it's supposed to be us responding to God, but what we're doing is we're not really, like, responding to Him from our heart. We're just repeating words which we have repeated over and over. Yeah, that's true. And it's very hard to make it. Um, what do you call? It? It's very hard to make it. Yeah, whatever. It's very hard to make it fit every single situation if when responding to God. Well, we sort of have agreed that we're just saying, you know, uh, music should music contemporary music isn't bad, but we just won't use it because. Oh, well, okay. let's we let's let's put it this way. Um, well, when I came here and I heard about the band Filio, I uh, initially ha- had a bit of an eyebrow response. When I actually heard them and listened to the songs that they were doing, I was much more well okay with it. I suppose you can say. Um, but an effort like that, um, I suppose makes the youth, because it's of course geared towards the youth, more aware of the other songs that are out there. Now, it doesn't have to be a case of either Geneva Psalms or contemporary music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in favor of, um, even proposing to Sina to look at more contemporary music to add to, uh, add to the songbook. That would get thrown out instantly. <laughs> yes, but I don't. I don't see that as a bad proposal. No, neither do I. But we're 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 young upstart millennials who are usurping the. Uh, yes, but that's that's also where another part of my point is is that of course the Jeevan tunes are very close to the generation above and two generations above us, generally speaking. Okay, sure. Well, they they will much sooner reject emotion to add more contemporary music than we would. Right? Yeah, I don't know anything about generations, so just keep talking. Okay, but if 
uh, one or two generations down the road, people like us are going to be in consistory and in sinners, then it's going to be a, a quite a different landscape around the table. Right? In terms of? Tolerance for more contemporary music. Music will have moved on by then. Yeah, anyway. It'll have moved on, yes, but not by merely a... Well, never mind. Um, it is definitely a generational thing. And I do think that tolerance for contemporary music will increase the more it's being discussed among generations as we move along. Now, I'm quite sh- I'm quite sure that a lot of people at Synod have good reasons for why they don't want contemporary music. I might not necessarily agree with all of them, but because there are church leaders, I am going to uh, going to listen to them, of course, for the sake of unity of the church, more than anything else. Could we just change track quickly and um, consider maybe what image we are portraying by using more contemporary music, particularly in the worship service? You must realize that not everyone who has a band in front of their church is Hillsong, because most churches actually are moving towards that way. I remember the Presbyterian church I used to go to in the uh, mornings, they would just have organ and a piano and a cello. Don't ask me why they had that combination, but that's what they had. And then in the afternoon, in the evenings, they would, you know, get the keyboards out and all the other assorted instruments and that sort of stuff. But yeah, churches are beginning to move away from that and more towards modern music. So it's not, if we start using more contemporary music, it's like not an image of, you know, a hill song. No, but don't relate the image to other churches, more relate the image to the popular bands which are out there and not necessarily Christian bands. You have bands out there and, you know, with the acoustic guitars and um, bass guitars and stuff, you know, the stance I'm talking about with the knees bent and slightly leaning backwards strumming at the guitar. And that is an image which sticks with specifically this type of music. And if you're and if you put that in front of a church service, then especially little children under 10 are going to connect those two images. And that's not a good thing. There's a reason why a lot of churches have their organists or the organ to the side or the rear. Yeah. Because then the player is not taking a front stage. Yeah, and I do appreciate that. Yeah. Like a lot of... Um, churches, I don't know, they'll have it like to the side or to the next to the pulpit, say, where we would put our elders or something. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, keep keep them out of the front. Exactly. And when you have performers at the front of the church, that's kind of going against that principle because then you're putting them front and center stage. Yeah. Of course, something that that's something that you don't really want to do. Yeah. But if you're having little children in your church and um, they're connecting the type of music that you have to some worldly band, then what's that telling them? That's telling them that the music, well, they're getting the image that the music outside of the world is okay and they're going to go to that because, well, we only have the same type of music inside the church. True. To be fair, we do listen to music from outside of the church. Yes, but there's a lot more scrutiny about that than the music we actually sing in church. Of course, but it's not something we discourage. No. Well, 
depending on who we're listening oh, to. Of course, yes. of course, there's of, of course there's some like you know horrible music where they talk about all sorts of rubbish. Mm. But generally, we're okay with music from outside of the church, unless you're my parents, in which guitars are evil. Well, any statements like that, I would disagree with. There is no such thing as an inherently evil. Oh, of course, I'm joking. Instrument. Yeah, I know. No, but that, that, that brings up an interesting topic because I've asked several people before and I've had different opinions on is there any one type of music that doesn't have lyrics? Is there any one type of music that is inherently evil? I wouldn't say evil, but you know how Cooper was talking about death metal earlier. That yeah. What what kind of emotions does that inspire? Not not, not necessarily edifying ones, you know. No. So it, obviously, it's always a case of discretion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cooper's strumming on his guitar now. But all forms of music can be used to the glory of God. It might be a bit of a stretch in some cases. That is very difficult. And I'm not saying that, that we should be trying to do this in a worship service. Yeah, definitely. But this is what I was saying originally. Like any statements of this and this is evil, it should never be used in a church. I was strongly disagree with. Yeah, of course. Death metal is kind of tame compared to some stuff that people get up to, though. Fair enough. So th- I think there's some music that you just can't use to glorify God. And, and using the term music, I'm being extremely discretionary here. Screamo. Yes. Well, that was, I do actually have a band which I listen to, Christian Screamo. Uh-huh. They're pretty good. But like, stuff like... Oh. Stuff like, what do you think about uh, electronic music without any words? Could you make that to the glory of God? You can, Absolutely. Just like you can strum your guitar to the glory of God. You can. Yeah. People who are mute can also worship God, basically. But we're getting out here. Yeah. I think it's very easy and very doable to, to use anything to the glory of God. Any type of music. Any type of music to the glory of God. Of course, this is in the context of praise and worship, though. Yeah, because you also have to consider the purpose of why that person is strumming their guitar. Because, like, especially with the mute person, if they, if the only way they can glorify God is through music, then I'd say the purpose would, and maybe not, uh, in the way they do it, if they do it to the best of their ability, that's really the only way they can glorify God in it. If, so if, if they, we, um, if they, if they only half try, then it's not good enough. Well, you can say that really about anyone's worship. That if it's not wholehearted, it's not necessarily real worship. Well, what if you're doing it like subconsciously, like you're praying while you're driving the car, or you like you're worshiping God while you're driving the car? It's like you know what, God's God's good. He made this road, and it's a very good road. He made the trees around it; it's very good trees. Like, is that like Willie? Are you gonna are you gonna say like that? No, that's not good enough. You gotta stop your car. You gotta stop on the side of the road and say, and then like look at the trees fervently and say, "Those are good leaves. Good leaves, good bark, good trunk. Yeah, but that's good branches." <laughs> but see, then you're you're equating um, the heartfeltness of your prayer to the physical effort you put into it, right? Like you can have a perfectly heartfelt prayer that you say in your mind while you're driving a car. Mm. That's not wrong. Saying a half-hearted prayer while driving your car, while well, while doing anything for that matter, should be discouraged because. A half-hearted prayer? Like, does it even exist? I mean, that's maybe when you like you rush a prayer before you eat a meal just for the sake of practicality. 
might be half-hearted. And I think many of us, I certainly am guilty of that. It's a very easy trap to fall into. Oh, yeah. Not caring enough. So then, is worship that is half-hearted still worship? In the sense that if it's not to the glory of God, then yeah, it's it's not to the glory of God. Yeah, okay. Like well, if then, you're yeah. if, if if you're thinking in your heart, like, oh, dude, this is pretty cool. Well, not even that really. That's a really bad example because that's just somebody saying, "Oh, dude, this is really cool." I mean, for example, worship in church is a easy example to use. What am I saying? But you know how sometimes when you're singing. And you can just easily get lost in your mind, and you're just singing words and not mm-hmm. really thinking. That's an easy way of half-hearted worship. Yes, but then is it the fault of the um, of the music, or is it our fault for not actually being wholehearted in our praise? Oh, of course, it's your fault for not being wholehearted. It yeah. The music is there to encourage you. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm not saying that Genevan Psalms are okay. like bad. Well, yeah, no, I uh, I'm also having a dig at the argument that because they're They've been around for so long, and because they're so used to them, they're now useless because we just sing them off the top of our heads. That does happen a lot, though. It does, but is that a legitimate argument to use? No, of course not. No, okay. I'm glad we agree. All right, so to summarize. What am, brilliant way to am, am I summarizing now? <laughs> well, no, just kind of to sum up the entire podcast. Like, what are our conclusions? Yeah. No, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, contemporary music isn't something that's inherently bad and it's not something that we can't use in our church services according to david in a few generations we will be using it in our church services i did not say will be i said can be okay well might, maybe will be. are there any further thoughts hold on chris what are your final thoughts i think um as long as we proceed with caution in beginning to let contemporary music creep into our churches and yeah i don't really see anything wrong with it per se um but as long as we proceed with caution then and acknowledge the image that we may or may not be portraying with that type of music then in a few years time yes we could have contemporary music in our churches yeah i would agree certainly advance uh with caution because that's where the Reformed churches are very strong in their doctrine. And their Elisha seems to have uh, something that's worthy of laughing. No, okay, no, he's not willing to share. Um, anyway, um, as long as the doctrine of the church remains sound, and as long as uh, we are convinced that there is nothing wrong with introducing this kind of music into the church, also the specific songs that we introduce into the church, then I don't see why contemporary music in and of itself should not be used. And my final thoughts are that I think the church is very good at being um, stagnant and not evolving their way um, of doing things, which can be really good. It's better than being uh, too fluid. But my, my final view is we should not be afraid to f- try and find a way to uh, worship God in whatever we do, like glorify him in any kind of media. So, yeah. You said you're fine. Okay. So, I guess that was 
first Thoughts on Crosses podcast episode about music. I was kind of your host who talked about five times. I was Cooper, and with me I had David, Chris, Elijah. Oh, we're so good at that. We're so good at that. Thank you, everybody, for watching. If you had any uh, questions or anything, we do have an email. It is tocqna at gmail.com. Feel free to chuck your um, thoughts there. Chuck mm-hmm. any questions in. Uh, again, that's tocqna.com. Thoughts on crosses, question and answers. You might want to specify that it's not Q A N D A. Yeah, it's Q N, as in the number N for. What is what is the special the what is the alphabet thing that the army uses for N? Like the Alpha, Beta, Charlie. Alpha Bravo. Alpha Bravo Charlie, mm, something. T O C Q N. A, that's six letters at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening.